Father, how we thank you and praise you, Lord. That, Lord, you are a God who is with thy people. There's nothing we go through in life that you're not there with us. And we're so thankful, oh God, of how close you are. That you're just a breath away. You're just a whisper away. And Lord, we thank you for always keeping your eyes upon us. You never miss a beat in our lives. And you are so concerned about us. Even the angels wonder why. But we thank you for your sincere love. And we thank you, Lord, that we can take our cares and cast them upon you. Knowing, Lord, that you truly do care for us. But, Lord, then give us strength to pick up your burdens. Give us the strength to pick up what you care about. And to do that work which you called us to do. And Lord, we just want to pray that, Lord, that we understand that the work is yours, but you have called us into this partnership of co-laboring together. That we labor with you. And you strengthen these frail bodies to do what you would have us to do. And we thank you, Lord, even for the young people as we were talking this morning, that with Joseph, Lord, it was very clear that you stated, I am with you. And Lord, would you help us to recognize that you are with us? You are with us. And that, Lord, you caused Joseph to prosper. It was not Joseph who called himself to prosper. But you called him to prosper, not so much in wealth, but in knowledge and intellect. That he might know how to use that to cause others to prosper and others to be blessed. And Lord, when you give unto us, you just don't give to us to hoard. You give to us that, Lord, that we might be a stream that might feed into the lives of others. And, Lord, you caused him to be successful. Because success, oh God, is what you do in all of our lives. As we follow after you, you cause us to be successful because people take note of that. And then, Lord, we can help others. And I pray, Father, that we would be a church that desire to help others, to encourage others. And would you continue to build that in the DNA of Ackland Lions Fellowship? That we be a people who encourage others. We be a people who build up others. We be a people who educate others. And we would be a people who will encourage one another and tell each other, let's run on. Let's run on no matter what's going on in our life, what's going on in our world. We're going to run on for the Lord. We're going to press on. And Lord, would you encourage our hearts this morning? 
as we look at the birth of Jesus, would you encourage us? And would you help us to answer the question, how are we responding to it? How are we responding to it? And how are we living out life knowing that Jesus came into this world just to find me? Lord, work in our hearts this morning. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, last, last night a, a young man, uh, we went out to watch Mark's basketball game with CVCA and Kimmore Garfield. And um, Mark Jr. felt the pressure. A week, a couple of days before, he was 22 points. Well, last night he was 11, and he was feeling it too. <laughs> but isn't it great God gives us our moments, but he also gives us our valleys? He gives us our success. He gives us our failures. And after the game, this young man from Garfield came over to Elaine and I, and he said, you don't remember me. And we kind of like, yeah, we don't remember I just find, would you, add, would, would you help some old folks remember you? <laughs> and he told us his name and everything and what he's doing. He got a full ride to Ohio State. <laughs> you know, and... Um, the whole process. He just hugged us and thanked us. And sometimes you don't understand why people are thanking you because you really don't understand what you may have done in their life. But if we just do what God would have us to do, if just one of the leopards come back and say thank you, it allows you to know to continue doing what you're doing. Amen? Because it's helpful. So how are you responding? How are you reacting to this Christmas, to this Christmas story, to the knowledge that you have of Jesus Christ? How are you responding to that? We all respond to good news Boy, uh, you let me say to Elaine, uh, we're going on vacation. And first thing, are we going to go see people or are we going on vacation? Now, if I say we're going to go see grandkids, it's not about people. (laughs) And and the whole thing is she'll start getting ready. I didn't narrow myself down to this little pack back I put on my back and my one little pull back. I'm trying to get her there. <laughs> and the whole thing is how we respond. How do you respond when you're told on the job, you're moving up, you got a promotion, you were rewarded with? How do you respond? How do you respond when you get a pink slip? How do you respond when your mate tells you, boy, you are great. You're something else. How do you respond? How do you respond 
to this Christmas story of Jesus Christ coming into this world just to love you. Just to be your Savior. Just to call you to himself. Now there are two requirements in this thing. We're going to see it in our text, I believe. One, it has to be reasonable. It has to be something that I can grasp and I can understand. And that's why God has given us faith. Because faith helps us to understand God. Faith helps us to understand God. And it answers that question for us, much like one of the songwriters have stated. It is well with my soul. Why? Because I know God's involved in it. And it's well with my soul. Because of him. The second thing is simply this. Is it verifiable? Is it verifiable? Can it really be proven? Can it be considered factual? Can I really see it? That's important. Is it reasonable that I can understand it And is it verifiable? Can I really see it? Can I see God at work in my life? Can I see his word coming to pass? And in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, we're going to start with these shepherds. And these shepherds are really a work. Because these shepherds were working doing their thing out in the field, watching their flock, doing their ordinary job, going to job day after day, back to the field, back to the field, staying in the field, watching their sheep. Have you ever went to work so often that it's just an ordinary thing? That you find yourself taking the same roads, the same way? You even got the street lights counted. Because you're just doing the ordinary thing. But one day, their life was not ordinary. God interrupted. Day-to-day life changed. What happens to you when your day-to-day life change? Does it shake you? Does it puzzle you? Does it cause you to be upset? Or do you go, wow, that's different. Wow. I'm going to search this out. Wow. I'm going to see what come with this. It's how we might respond when the ordinary turns out to be far more than I could have ever expected. Because these shepherds just went to work. Not expecting an angel to show up. They went to work. Not expecting to receive a message 
that they were going to be responsible to do something with. They just went to work. So in that Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, it reads, And there were shepherds living out in the fields. They were living out there. That was their job. But when ordinary life changes, what do you do with it? And most of us, we don't like what in our lives? We don't like a lot of change. See? Because, see, I like to walk around my house because I know where everything's at so I can walk in the dark. But if Lane changed something, see? And usually if I go away and I come back, I'm looking for a change because something then changed. But she keeps a wonderful, warm home. And these individuals were not expecting this angel. An ordinary life changed for them. And something different happened to them. And when God steps into your life, there's a change. And there's something different that's going to start happening in your life. And the angels are in the field with the shepherds. Look what it says there. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared. That's a no, no, no. Angels don't appear in the field. Angels don't appear on my job. Angels don't appear in my car. Angels don't appear in my house. Angels don't appear. Let me share something with you. God got something to say to you. He's going to say it. The question is, do we hear it? When God has a message for you, he's going to get that message across. And the question is, for us, is it the right place or the wrong place? There are some things we receive because we're in church. And there's things I hear in everyday life we don't receive them because I'm not in church. God only speaks that way in church. No, he don't. God is getting his message out to all of us. Wherever we're at, wherever we're at in life, God is speaking his message. He's sending his message. Go over to Luke. Is it Luke or Matthew? No, it's Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 with me. Go through 8 through 11 with me. Boy, get these all straightened out now. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty... And he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood. To go into the temple of the Lord. To go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembly worshipers were praying outside. 
Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Okay, I can accept that. He's in the right place. He's in God's house. He's in the temple. And the angel show up. But how do I accept the angel out in the field? How do I accept God speaking to me in a place where I may not think this is the right place for God? How many of you know something? God speaks to people in drug houses. God speaks to people in bars. God speaks to people while they're sitting in a college classroom. God speaks to people while they're helping and nursing or doctoring or doing this to other people. God speaks to people while you're out planting your flowers. God speaks. There is no right place for God to speak. He wants to share his message. And it doesn't matter where you're at. The question will be, are you listening? Are you listening? It's not about where you're at. But do you have an ear to hear God? And how do you respond when you do hear him? And both Zacharias and the shepherds had a responsibility to respond. To speak. Either they were going to respond positively or negatively. There's only two words you can say to God. Either yes or no. And how you respond depends oftentimes if God goes the next step. If he continues. Have you ever been in a conversation and you finally recognize a person's not listening to you? And when you recognize they're not listening to you, what do you do? (laughs) You stop speaking. Because you recognize they're not responding, they're really not listening. And God sometimes, because we're not listening, stops. But when we're listening, he takes us to the next step, and the next step, and the next step. Because there's no right place or wrong place for God to speak into our lives. God will meet you in the temple or out in the field. God will meet you in church or out in the workplace. God will meet with you. Why? He wants to share a message with you. And the message that he was going to share with these Shepherds is simply this, called good news. It was called good news. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring to you good news. Good news. I'm going to bring to you. Now, shepherds were people who were looked upon as less than. Most shepherds were not very well educated. They were of the lower class. They really were not affluent individuals. They didn't really have any wealth. 
any real standing in the community per se. They were often considered to be absent from the community because they lived where? Out in the fields with the sheep. So their activity was not much in the community. They were always out. Shepherds were seen as a lower standard of life or way of making a living. It's that lower standard and sometimes people get lost in that. Even in the Jewish Talmud, it was stated in the Sanhedrin, a shepherd could not be brought into court to give witness over something. You could not bring a shepherd in because of his low standards and so forth and livelihood. He could not be a witness on your behalf over something. He was not allowed to be in the court in a sense because of that. But I want you to see what God does. God takes some shepherds, brings them into his courtroom and make them witnesses. He brings them into his courtroom those who have been rejected by people, he takes them and brings them in and makes them witness to his mighty act and his work. Now, in Matthew 11, 5-6, the message is preached to the poor because one of the things that is asked of John the Baptist Are the people really being served? Are the people really being helped? Are the people, are they being nurtured? Are the people being built up? John was concerned about the average individual. Going over to Matthew 11, look at verses 5 through 6. Pick up in verse 4. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. Now look at this last part. And the good news is preached to the poor. The forgotten group. Follow that through historically. Take any nationality of people and look at their history, and you will find that the poor, the uneducated, become the neglect group. within that ethnic group. And they are totally forgotten about. Sunday school starts based on the very fact there was a group of people in England totally forgotten about. Could not read. And that was the reason Sunday school started. To teach people to read and what was used was the Bible. To read to these illiterate people, these uneducated people, 
that somehow the church even had lost sight of. And any ethnic group or culture that you basically study, you will find and discover that they neglect their poor, their weak ones, their uneducated ones. And they see them differently. You can still see it in England. What's a Lord? What's a Lord? Aren't you glad here in America we don't have lords? We don't have knights? We don't have royalty, in a sense? But the reality is, again, how you see people. And the shepherds were seen as low individuals. Now, isn't it strange that Jesus would take, in a sense, that title, shepherd, that men of low esteem, rather than taking the title of Pharisee or Sadducee or this or that, he takes the lowest, in a sense. Of title. Shepherd. 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 Go with me over to John ten fourteen. John ten. Saint John ten and verse fourteen. Look what he says. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the shepherd that stays with his flock. I am the shepherd that feeds his flock. I am the shepherd that protects the flock. I am a shepherd. And he's called the good shepherd. Go back over to Matthew now. See what the Lord was going to send to his people. Because we have need of that. When they saw the... Uh-oh. It's not Matthew... But what he needed was the shepherd, and the people needed a shepherd. And that's what becomes important, that he recognized the need that the people had, that of a shepherd. And he becomes a shepherd for us. And many people were like sheep without a shepherd. Go over to Matthew 9.36. And 9.36, what I want you to pick up is how he describes the people. How he sees the people. In 9.36, he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. A shepherd always has compassion on the sheep. 
How many of you recognize a sheep only sees about six feet in front of it? It doesn't see any distance. It can only see six feet in front of it. Now, six feet isn't very much if you get close to a cliff. And the shepherd had to be right there with the sheep to guide them because of their ability to see. They couldn't see the enemy coming. They couldn't even see if there was still food six feet in front of them. He says he had compassion on them. Knowing the weakness of the sheep. How many of you understand something? A sheep is one of the rare animals that have no way at all to defend itself. Which makes it totally dependent upon the shepherd. A sheep has no way of defending itself. How many of you have ever seen a sheep run? (laughs) It doesn't run. (laughs) And it's not very fast. It doesn't have that way of getting away from the enemy. And the whole process is simply is dependent upon the shepherd to protect and to defend it. And Jesus says he had compassion on them because they were harassed and that is to be slay or to give oneself trouble. Do you see people sometimes giving themselves trouble and don't know it? Do you see people causing their own pain and their own problems in life sometimes but don't know it? (laughs) Do you see people making their own life hard for themselves and don't know it? That's what that word is referring to for us. They cause, in a sense, their own trouble. They trouble themselves. Not just that people on the outside trouble, but they cause their own trouble. And how many of us cause our own trouble, cause our own pain, cause our own hurt, cause our own situation to be harder than what it should be? And he says he has compassion on them. And he says, helpless. Helpless. And sheep are totally helpless. It is to be, in a sense, cast or thrown down. Or a lack of care. A lack of care. What he saw among the crowd and the people was that they were troublesome themselves and and there was a lack of care of someone's concern who was looking from the outside in, having a concern for them. And that's what the shepherd does. He looks from the outside to see the problem and then is concerned about that and then he renders the help or whatever is needed to remedy that. And he says he's the good shepherd. 
He is the good shepherd. Because he shepherds us. He ministers to us. The shepherd meets all of our needs. He takes that role of a shepherd to do what the sheep cannot do for themselves. And that's the position we're in, what we cannot do for ourselves. Go to Hebrews 13 real quick. Just a little bit further into this thing called shepherding, where Jesus takes as a title. He is the great shepherd. It is not something that he pushes away from based on labels sometimes. Some labels we need to push away from. Some labels that people label us, we need to push away from. We need to change. When people say, boy, they hard-hearted. No, we need to change that. When people say, oh, they just a pushover, we need to change that. When people say they can't learn, we need to change that. When people say, oh, they're not really important, we need to change that. Some labels we own, some labels we dismiss. In Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, look what he says. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, What's this time? Great shepherd of the sheep. He didn't fall back from that word shepherd. He didn't take on the ownership of it, of what it was in that day. The great shepherd of the sheep. Now catch 21. Because this is what he does for us in life, in meeting our needs. Equips you. Equips you. Are you allowing God to equip you? Are you allowing God to build your life or are you busy building your life? Are you allowing God to turn your life around or are you trying to turn it and manage it? Have you ever somewhat lost control of car and all of a sudden you say, Jesus, and control comes back? <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation, boy, where you just, Jesus, and something changes that quick? <laughs> where you saw it being something of danger or accident or something else, but just by saying Jesus, because there's something in that name. And he says he's an ever-present helper. And it changes He says he equips us. He gives us the knowledge. He gives us the intellect. He gives us the funds. He gives us the wealth. He gives us the standards in society. He gives us. He uplifts us. He allows people to say, that's a smart young man. That's a smart young woman. That's a godly young man. That's a godly young man. He elevates. If you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he is the one who does what? He picks us up. He puts us on planes that we would have never thought about. From the lowest position of life to the highest position. He starts with the lowest title, shepherd, and become the great shepherd. The great high priest. He says he equips us 
for what? Equips you with every good thing for doing what? And this is the part oftentimes we lose it. His will. He equips us to do His will. He puts me in places to do His will. He lifts me up to do His will. He gives me gifts to do His will. He provides me for His will. And as I carry out His will, it is surprising how He keeps lifting, how He keeps lifting, how He keeps lifting. But He equips, He equips, He equips. He prepares me for it. Why? He's the great shepherd. He knows exactly what we have need of. Now, when you look at Matthew and look at Luke, you're going to find two different groups. I see the one group being acted upon first, and then the other group secondly. And sometimes we wrestle with this. Because why is it that Jesus went to the shepherd? and not to the intellect and the knowledge. Now, understand something. I'm not saying Jesus went to the dumbest folks on earth. Shepherds had to have their math pretty good, especially if they had a lot of sheep. They had to know how to cut the wool off those sheep. So they're not ignorant people as sometimes when we read history, try to make them to be. Just because you were a fisherman, and a lot of times when you first start reading the Bible, you think fishermen are dumb people. No, they got their own business going on. Somebody has supplied the market with the fish. But it's the way sometimes, I don't care how educated you might be or how smart you might be, is how other people perceive you and what labels they will put on you. But in Matthew 2, let's go there for a moment because I want you to pick this up. And, and I want you to hold in thought. In Luke 2, God puts an angel in the field. And the angel explained and shared the message. But in Matthew 2, he doesn't send an angel. He just sets a star up there. And these wise men, he calls them wise men. Sometimes take note of the word that proceeds man or a person's name. Take note how God labels them wise, shepherd, foolish. The whole process here, these were what we would call intelligent men of that day, scientific men of that day. Astrologers with all kind of knowledge and wealth. Remember also this, when the shepherds went to see Jesus, they took nothing with them ready to give. It tells us that these three wise men, they bought what? Gifts of their wealth. 
So in one and two it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, after, during the time of King Herod, Magi's from the east, look where they're traveling from. From the east, because I'm going to use that later on. They traveled from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, they, they got a little different information. For the shepherds, their message and their information, he's a savior born. For this group, he's a king born. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He's the king that was born. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star. God didn't use an angel. He used a star. And that star directed them to where Jesus was. The shepherds, they were told where Jesus was. But it is only God who reveals the message. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. And catch this other little phrase because we're going to use it again. And have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. Both responded with an action. The shepherds and the men from the east both responded with an action. Are you responding to God with an action? Are you responding with God that causes you to have to change your ordinary way of living, your ordinary day? These men had to change their day to travel from the east to Jerusalem. The shepherds, they had to change their day. Instead of staying in the field, they had to go see. But both of them had to take an action in order to discover the reality of what their sign was or what the angel said. And in some place in your life, if you're going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to take action to realize what has really been said is true or not. Or what you've been seen or shown is really real or not. You have to take some type of action. The shepherd saw Jesus in a manger. In Luke 2. He's in this manger. And that's where they see him at. In verse 12. It says. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped. And what I want you to pick up here. Is baby wrapped. You will find a baby. In the manger. Lying in a manger. You'll see him. You'll see him. The Magi's, when they go in Matthew 2.11, it says, in the house. So they're no longer where? In the cave or in the manger. 
He is born. He's somewhere between four or five months, one year to two years old. How do we figure that one? When Herod sends out to kill, he kills from two what? All the way back down. But one saw him in the manger. The other one, Luke says, they saw him with his mother. But not in the manger. This is possibly by that time Jesus is walking. He's up a little bit. But he's not in the manger. And they saw him then differently at that point. They saw him differently. But they saw him. But how did they see him? Is because they took the initiative to go and see. Is it reasonable? Is it really reasonable? And how do you verify it? That this is true. And sometimes to verify something, you have to take action on your own to see if it's true. You can hear Pastor Brown preach. You can hear Sunday schools being taught. You can hear what other people are saying. But until you yourself take some type of action to see if this is real, you're believing a story. But you have no real facts in your own life if this is real or not. If Christianity is really real. You believe the story that God is the only one and true God. But you have no facts in your real life that he really is. You hear the stories of how God delivers and how God makes a way out of no way. But you have no real experience of God delivering you or opening doors for you or showing favor upon you. God is getting his message out to all, rich and poor. The shepherds came with nothing. The magis, they came with wealth. But look at the different locations also. The shepherds was just up in upper Bethlehem. And they went to the city of Bethlehem to see the Savior. The Magi's come from where? From the east. They're traveling for some time to see if it's factual. To see what they were understanding about this star, if it was true. The shepherds had a shorter distance to travel down to Bethlehem to see if this is true. They share the story in their locality of Bethlehem and the surroundings. But those from the east took the story where? Back home with them. That this is true. This is true. This is true. There's been a king born unto the Jews. There's a savior that is born. They took that news back with them some distance. Now, 
there's always when God intervenes, there's something that separates reality for a moment into this thing that is divine. It somehow captures our attention just for a moment. And it kind of like holds us for that moment. It's the glory of the Lord shown around them. It says in Luke 2, 9. He says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, a bright light, something that made it different, something that held their attention, something that grabbed them and caused them to focus on it. It separated them for a moment from the reality of what they were seeing in order to see something else. They were able to see only that. Turn to Matthew 17. It's known as the transfiguration. Go to verses 1 through 5. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brothers of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. And Jesus then there separated before them. Moses appeared, I'm sorry, just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now think with me for a moment. Peter's in his day. Moses and Elijah were not around. In Peter's day, who told Peter that was Moses or that is Elijah? Yet, they're seeing something that caught their eyes so much that somehow they're not interested in the rest of the world. But they're seeing this thing with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and the light, and it captivates them. Question. When's the last time you've been captivated by God? That he's caught your attention, either while you're studying his word, while you're in prayer, while you are just looking at something, God grabs your attention fully. Have you ever seen one of them rainbows that it just grabs your attention? Have you ever seen one of those sunsets when you're going down the road? Boy, it's not the ordinary sunset. It's not the ordinary thing. But yet, 
is something different about it. And for a moment, it just what? Grabs your attention. Have you ever been going down the road or just outside and the clouds look like there's God sitting right there? But it captivates you. There are times in your life, if you allow it, God will captivate you. And you'll know that it's him. And listen to what Peter said. It's good that we were here. Now, the shepherds were captivated by the light of the angels. Because God had to separate them for a moment from their real world of being shepherds to only focus on what? What he was going to say to them. And God sometimes will captivate you in order to speak to you. But the question is, will you hear? And sometimes we need to say to the Lord, Lord, speak. Lord, speak. What the scripture says, be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. And allow him to share his message or what he's showing you, or what he's teaching you. Let him captivate you for that moment. And then when you go into Acts 9.3, Paul knocked off his horse and this bright light, but the Lord captivates Paul's attention. As knowledgeable as Paul was, he's going to learn something new. He's going to learn something new. And God caught his attention. And it says by this bright light and then his voice. And he caught the shepherd's attention by sending an angel. He caught the magi's attention by setting a star. He spoke to one in the field. He spoke to another in the temple. God is getting his message through. Is God getting his message through to you? How are you responding to that message? And he says it's good news. It's good news. And the the thing about it, When he says it, he says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. It seems like every time this bright light comes, also people are also fearful. Because it's not the ordinary. And understand something, when you spend special time with God, it's not the ordinary. When you labor in prayer, it's not the ordinary. Even though you pray and you might pray, Lord, teach me to pray in this moment, is not the ordinary. Lord, would you search my heart? It's not the ordinary. And sometimes you have to pick yourself out of your ordinary and ask for that which is not part of your ordinary life. That you might do it. 
the message was to all people when you get to verse 13. Because this is not just an ordinary message. This is not just a message to the Pharisees or the Sadducees. It's not a message just even to the Jewish people. It's not a message just to one elite group of people. It is a message for all people. So in 13, he brings us to that. And he simply says, Boy, that this message set me a great company of the angels. Now the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. It is to all people, not some people. It is there, and it is stated again in that verse 10 also. It's to all people. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news and great joy that will be for who? All people. It's for all people. And in Matthew 21, 13, he says, Boy, my house should be called a house of prayer for the Jewish people, for this group of people, for that group of people. Sometimes we hear, well, you know, it was just to the Jews he was speaking, or just to the Jews he was speaking. No, he was speaking to all of us. The message just comes through a Jewish culture. But he's speaking to all. For my house will be a house of prayer for all. I'm the Savior of all people, not some people, not a select group of people, but to all people. I am a Savior for all people. And it is explained that a Savior has been born today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He is born for all people. Not just some people. Not just for educated people. And not just for poor people. But for all people. All people have need of a Savior. Someone who can rescue them. Someone who can deliver them. Someone who can make sense of life for them. Someone who can put their feet on the right path. They have need of a Savior. Now comes the test, in a sense. They heard the information. The question is, how do you verify it? How do you prove it? How do you live it out? See, we got some folks here going to college. They're getting all kind of information. A lot of it they won't even waste time to verify. Because that's exactly what it is. Information. Okay, going to school, getting all kind of information. We got folks here that got all kind of information. But how do you verify it? The way you really test something to see how true it is is by how you apply it to your life. You can gather information 
But information without application is nothing. You just have a lot of information that is just stored up here, but you're doing nothing with it. And the message is meant for you to respond to and do something with. The message is meant that something will govern your life. Something will rescue you. Something will help you. Something is going to be with you to help direct your life. The message. You have a Savior. You have a Deliverer. You have one who will sanctify you. You have one who will heal you. You have one who will be king of your life if you allow him. You will have one who is lord of your life, master of your life, if you allow him. But how do you verify it? Only one way you know if this is true. Isn't it strange that all these Christmas cards that are out here now, the vast majority of them never mention Christ? Go find and see how difficult it is to find a Christmas card talking about Jesus. Or the birth of Jesus. We got Santa Claus. We got Christmas. We got everything else but the message of Jesus. Elaine was looking at cards the other day when we were out two different stores and she was trying to look to find one with Jesus or Christ. Couldn't find him. Plenty of other cards with the snowflakes and this and that, but nothing sharing about the birth of Christ. Only one way you know if this is true or not. You have to try it. You have to take what you've heard and put it to the test. You have to do that for yourself. No mom, no dad, no grandparents, nobody else can can really convince you about your salvation other than God himself acting in your life. You can hear it, but how do you verify it? If it's true or not. You have to go after him. He's come from heaven to earth. It's not too much for you to go to Bethlehem. He's come from heaven to earth. It's not too much for you to go from the far east to Bethlehem. You have to make an effort. You have to want to know him. You want to have to verify if the message that you heard is really true or the sign that you've seen. Is it real or is it fake? And the only one who can verify it in the sense in which you yourself will be satisfied is only you. It's not by hearsay. It's not by second mile. It's not by this or that. It's by you yourself having the experience with Jesus Christ. That's why they say that salvation is a personal relationship.
You have to go after him. They talked. And that's the first thing. Because look with me in verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, so they convened their own little conference. They heard, and I guess they checked with each other. Did you hear what I heard? This is what I think of this message. This is the part I understood. And they're having their own little conference with each other, in a sense. Did we really see these angels? Was this a, a message? Did you see what I saw? Did, did you hear what I heard? When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem. Now, catch that. Let us go. They had to go. You have to go and you have to search it out if it's true what has been said. If it's false, it won't stand up. But if it's true... You'll be surprised the change it takes in your life. Because you're responding to truth. Not to something that is false. And God will show himself and prove himself. If you go looking for him, he says he will not hide himself from you. Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us. So they got information, but they don't know how true this information is. They got a story and a message about a baby being born in Bethlehem that is the Savior of the world, that is the Savior of all people. But how true is that? And the only way they're going to discover the real truth of it is to make the journey. Now, these are shepherds. Remember I told you to hold on to shepherds? What can't they leave out there in the field by themselves? They can't leave the sheep out there (laughs) by themselves. So they have to take what? their flock with them. So as they are going and gathering this evidence, let me put a word out here we don't like. You have to work at it. You have to study. You have to search it. Because they worked on their way of discovering this thing that is told them was true. They worked along the way. And you're going to have to work as you gain a greater understanding of your Savior. You're working at it. And in their going, they worked, yes. But when they had seen, 
And this becomes the amazing part. See, a lot of us think faith just drops down from heaven and all this believism just drops into us. That somehow God takes a magic wand and he waves it over us. And I know the whole Bible. Some of us believe, boy, if we go to Bible college or we go to a Christian school, we get it. The question is this. Have you worked at it? Have you worked at it? And let me share something with you. He's worthy to discover. He is worthy to discover. That's why the psalmist can say, taste and see how good he is. But in order to taste something, you have to what? Pick it up, bring it up to your mouth, take of it, chew it a little bit to get the juices out. You're doing something to know how good that might really be to you. Most of us are just saying, pour it on me, Lord, pour it on me, Lord. No, he's giving you his word and many, many ways of discovering the richness but it's going to take you working at it, you desiring it, you wanting it. He's come from heaven to earth for you. You can go in your bedroom by yourself, open your Bible, and learn of him. You can go in your bathroom and just sit a little while and talk with him and don't be disturbed. You're the one who got to search him out. To really know him. Don't just accept what Pastor Brown said. Don't just accept what Melvin said. Don't just accept what somebody else said. They heard it. But they wanted to see it for themselves. Do you want to see him for yourself? Do you want to see him moving and working and acting in your life? Do you want to see him? And it says, boy, when they see him, and this is amazing, when they had seen him, in verse 17, they spread the word. Why? What they were told now, what they heard, they were able to verify that this is true. And because it's true, there was a response. They shared it with others. They shared that truth with others. Because they themselves verified it for themselves. Howard Hendricks says it this way. Don't export it until you've tried it. Don't try to send something somewhere else. Until you know the reality of it. Don't try to sell something on somebody else. Until you know the truth of it. Don't try to push something on somebody. That may be false. That may be a lie. But when you know the truth. 
you just automatically just share it. I've seen it. I've heard it. How is he verifying it in our lives today? He verifies it when your heart is troubled and you asked him for peace, do you get it? When you find something very difficult to do, and the scripture says he's a very present helper, do you simply say, Lord, help me? And you discover that you receive that help? When you're praying about relationships with people, and when you deal with people, Lord have mercy, as they say. But yet, he makes your enemies become your friends. What I'm saying is simply this. Even on the job, he can make it delightful, even though others are trying to make it what? Difficult and hard. Sometimes with our children, we have to take them and just put them where at? In the hands of God. And keep them covered with prayer and covered with the blood of Christ. Because that's all we can do now. But watch him come through. See, you ought to, as believers be experiencing God working in your life. And then what you see God do, you are spreading it. My God is more than able. My God is doing. There comes my testimony. My Only thing they went around and spread was their witness, their testimony of what they heard and what they saw. Your testimony is what you heard and what you've seen God do in your life. And it says, because of what they were doing in spreading the word, and you don't have to worry about how people respond. You just let that be their problem. We need to just spread it. And all, in verse 18, and all who heard it were amazed. When people hear what God is doing in your life, when people hear what God has done in your life, when people hear how God touches your body, when Mary comes up and God raised her up, I can't wait to hear the testimony. When Jasper's all done with his five surgeries or more, I can't wait to hear the testimony. When James and Donna get back, I can't wait to hear what God did and the joy that they felt being with those great-grandchildren. When Cynthia gets back, can't wait to hear the testimony of how Philip is doing and her grandchild and holding her grandchild and the joy that God gave to her. Now you say those are just little small everyday earthly things but sometimes people 
What God does is just the very little things that we miss. You know how many grandparents haven't seen their grandchildren? You know how many grandchildren have not seen grandparents? Do you know what a blessing it is to hold your grandchild or great-grandchild? Do you know what it is for God to open doors to make ways for you? Do you know what it is when God touches your body? We've heard. We've seen. We've verified. He is real. Spread it. Father, we thank you and praise you for the message that you've given unto us, not just the shepherds. And we praise you, Lord, for interacting in their lives. But we praise you for interacting in our lives. We praise you for calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We praise you, Lord, for transforming our lives from what we once were to what we are today. And you're still at work in our lives. And Lord, we pray that we would be able, even as we sit around this Wednesday, excited about the gifts, yes, but more excited about a Savior who is transforming our lives, who is revealing himself more and more to us, allowing us to hear his word, but also verify his word that is true. And knowing that there's no other foundation that men can lay than that of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we stand. We stand not being, oh God, moved by the whims of man, by the fables of man. And we're not tossed to and fro, chasing after this and chasing after that. But Jesus is our anchor and we are held, oh God, fast to him. Help us, Lord, to share our stories at Christmas time with our children. May we hear our children's stories of how God is interacting in their lives. May we hear the story of our great-grandchildren. Lord, you're working. Your message is going out. You're still touching lives. You're still, oh God, having your message go forth. Help us to hear. Help us to respond. And help us, Lord, to share ours. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.